Hi, my name is James Browning. I'm here to learn how to be a small group leader. I've been a small group leader in the past, but a few months ago, I joined the Small Group Network. When I did, I had access to some of the most successful small group people across the country, and I've learned a lot. So I wanted to share what I've learned straight from those people to you. So whether you're a new small group leader, whether you are considering becoming a small group leader, or whether you're like me and you've been a small group leader for a while, but just want to learn a little bit more, this is for you, how to be a small group leader. Joining me for this episode is online pastor of Saddleback Church, Jay Cranda. Jay and I go pretty far back. We went to college together and then seminary, and then Jay became one of the earliest online pastors of a church in the country. Obviously, uh, since the pandemic's happened, all pastors have had to learn how to be an online pastor. But Jay has had some of the longest and best experience with uh, ministry online, and that includes groups. So here Jay is going to share with us how to lead your group online, even if you are just doing it temporarily due to pandemic or due to travel schedules of your group uh, or just for uh, distance reasons, uh, this is how to be a great online small group leader. My name is Jay Cranda. I am the online community pastor at Saddleback Church, and I've been doing online groups for... I don't know, eight, 10 years. <laughs> and uh, we have over a thousand online groups. And so we've learned a great deal over the last uh, you know, decade, which is crazy to think about. Um, I live in Southern California, have three kids, married, went to Biola. Um, and I love thinking about how churches can leverage technology um, to, to get people into ministry and serving and living on purpose and connected with other people. Great. So, Jay, if someone were to do an online group this fall or this whatever, whenever they're listening to this and it's their first time doing an online group, whether that's because their group members are traveling a lot, whether it's because of a pandemic or health reasons or uh, it just happens to be a geographically diverse group, what are your tips and advice for a first time small group leader who is leading an online group? Well, usually a lot of the energy is around just getting them to get to that first online group meeting, because I think there is a lot of fear and unknown. You know, I, I would kind of correlate it to it's a first day at a new job or a first day at, you know, school, you know, there's just a lot of like, how's this going to work? And, a lot of the encouragement is, hey, you're just getting your friends together and you're talking about some things. And so I think if they're starting a group with friends or joining a group where they know everybody, it's a lot easier because it's just, hey, get people together and you know jump on a Zoom and talk about this. And the curriculum is guides them through a conversation. And really, we lean into that. You're having a conversation over Zoom. Now, if they're joining a new group. There's some extra things they got to figure out. They got to figure out, you know, you know, are they going to like the people in the group? Uh, you know, is it going to be natural? And that's where we, we typically like to communicate with our in-person groups and even our online groups. It might take a couple tries till you get into a group where you really fit. 
and um, which is all on their preference. And so that's where we really, we just say, hey, just join the group, experience it. Don't worry if, if it's not perfect. If it if you don't like it and you want to get into something else, then we'll do that. And then it usually, you know, I, I feel like I don't have the, the raw data in front of me, but I feel like 60, 70% of the time, the first group that they join, it does work out. And then there's a 20, 30% that they have to, either try a couple groups out or eventually maybe even start a group. But usually there's a lot of push of like, Hey, just try it out. And then we, we do work pretty hard of trying to show them what a group is going to be like. And so maybe put in a visual. So that's in the promotion, maybe having video capture or maybe a story so that they can actually see an example. Again, I, I bring up the example of my kids. Um, you know, they had a first day of school not too long ago and, you know, the teacher, actually, I, I, my daughter uh, had a really great experience of this where he, she had a first day of, of pre-K or TK, whatever they call it now. And clearly, I'm a great dad. And they, the teacher recorded a video for my daughter prior to ever her showing up to class. And it really, my daughter was super nervous about it because she didn't, you know, she was a five-year-old going to her first day of school and she saw this video and the teacher went around and showed footage of the, of the classroom. And then my daughter was so calm because she, there was this unknown. And I think that's where setting expectations, showing visuals of how an online group works or stories calms people down and then allows them to get into that first meeting. And if you get into that first online group meeting, there's a super high likelihood that they will continue on post that first meeting. Uh, a great follow-up to that. This year is my daughter's first year of kindergarten. And so we just moved to Southern California. She just starts school kindergarten for the first time, gets in there, really likes her new kindergarten teacher. And about a week and a half into the school year, uh, they decide to let the kindergarten teacher go because enrollment was down. Uh, from what they thought. And so they're going to combine the three kindergarten classes into two kindergarten classes. So basically she had to start a new group. <laughs> wow. That's not <laughs> and, fun. And um, it really did throw her off. At first I thought she was going to be devastated. You know, this is her kindergarten teacher. But from her perspective, she thought this is just how school operated. Like she'd never been to school before. Like maybe everyone gets a new kindergarten teacher every two weeks. But she gets into the new class and it's been about three or four weeks. And I would say it's been up until now for her to really get settled in. Mm. So if you are in a group and someone has joined your group and they've been in a couple of groups before that didn't work out, it may take some time for them to kind of settle in because they're coming in with expectations of it not working out. Yeah. That's like, no, that's totally true. And, you know, sometimes those are moments to, remind them that, you know, if it's not working out, sometimes we do lean heavy into them just starting a group. And we were like, that's more of a pastoral moment. And then sometimes uh, it's, you know, I kind of reevaluate the groups that they've checked out. Maybe those aren't um, the best groups to plug new people in. It it usually goes towards the person. Sometimes if if you have bad experiences in three to four groups, it's usually, unfortunately, it's you. Um, Sometimes it is like, hey, let's just make sure because that way we primarily do it with our online groups. We have a list. We try to keep a list of 10 to 15 groups that are open to new people. And that's just through our regular contacts. Like, hey, are you you looking at new people? And then if that host is a member of our church, you know, they have, um, you know, they have good recommendations and, you know, because really we want to be careful what 
groups, we plug new people in, especially online, because it could be, um, we don't want it to be a bad experience. But sometimes those are the hardest conversations when people get bounced between groups. I just had that a couple of days ago, actually, somebody got kicked out of a group, I, I not, a, not really kicked out, but they actually were popping in and out of the group, the zoom throughout the meeting. And we make it a requirement that you have to, if you join, you, you stay, but they felt like they could actually pop in and out and still be part of the group. They literally would come in the fr- the first part, leave for five minutes, come back. And, you know, you can't have good conversations if you do that. And so we actually had to remove them from a group and plug them into another group and talk to them about the expectations of being there from the start to end. But these are the weird things that happen when you start online groups. You're like, I didn't realize I would have to tell somebody to be there from the start to the beginning. How do you decide what technology to use? How do you decide, how do you handle the administrative stuff? Uh, and then from there, can you go into why isn't anybody talking in my online small group? Yeah, so we lean heavy into allowing groups to use whatever platform they prefer. You know, uh, for the most part, even meeting platforms tend to be, even though that they're accessible around the world, um, people have different preferences in different parts of the world of how they communicate. So it might be Zoom here. Um you know, some people, for example, love WhatsApp or, you know, but like the US, for example, doesn't really use WhatsApp heavily, or there might be, you know, WeChat and every tool and platform has different preferences. I was doing something with some pastors in Russia, and there's this really popular like Zoom competitor in Russia, which I had never heard of. But you're not, we don't really force people to meet on a specific platform. We do recommend Zoom. We say Zoom is a really good, um, way to meet because it's really seamless. You can have a link and you can just send people and they can join and you can control it. I think it's one of the most seamless ways for online groups to function. But if you love Google meetups or whatever, I know FaceTime, their recent iOS update 15. Now you can have links and you can send people and non iPhone or iOS users can actually meet now on FaceTime. So I think FaceTime will become more popular here over the next year or so. But we really lean into Zoom and then we say, hey, use use whatever plot. If you don't like this, use whatever platform you want. And that, you know, I, I kind of ca- call it a, an agnostic kind of approach to how people meet and people get super creative with meeting styles. You know, we have groups that use Discord to Slack to all sorts of things. But I, I know the majority of them use Zoom. And so um, we don't pay for accounts. We allow, We really encourage you use whatever you prefer. And so we don't get in the business of having to have a bu- bunch of accounts. Um, we have experimented over the years with maybe having some paid accounts where people can schedule the room um, a little bit. You can actually pay Zoom to kind of get a dedicated URL and then you could schedule it out like on a Google Sheet. It gets a little messy because people can pop in and out of that URL. So it could impact like privacy things. But um, that that's normally how we really leverage it. Uh, we recorded initially a like a tutorial on how to use Zoom. Now there's tons, even the small group network has a tutorial on how to use uh how to use Zoom for small groups. And we just send people, again, most people know how to use it. Sometimes there's new people that are maybe anti-technology and they they run into a lot of issues. Very rare do we run into people like that just because of, you know, the adoption of Zoom over the last year and a half. Um, Sometimes people still are in that category and we just send them this tutorial. We actually do have a tech support ministry now where we have a group of people that 
are very patient and very caring, and they will walk through those people that are struggling uh, with technology and help them figure out how to, you know, deal with, you know, unplugging of a mic or whatever, you know, all the, the weird, we were talking right before this, that for some reason, my camera isn't being ported into this. And that would be, you know, somebody on the tech support could ministry could call somebody back and actually walk through, through that. And that ministry is so interesting because they will d- deal with simple issues. And then sometimes they'll be on a phone with somebody for two hours walking through something. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for serving <laughs> um, in, in this way. So one of the biggest challenges that a lot of people face in doing online groups is getting engagement, getting that conversation going. Uh, so how do you get that discussion and that, that personal community going? Yeah, I think a lot of the tactics that local groups use to kind of get conversation going, I think really do apply to a Zoom group. The hard part about Zoom is the crosstalk. Um, it's really hard to have three people talking at once on a Zoom without it like immediately just being done. And so like in a group, maybe you might have a large conversation and then I might turn to you and talk to you for a moment. You can't really do that on a Zoom because of the noise canceling and equalizing kind of software that's all working. And so it forces only one person to talk at a time, which is good for a group typically, but it's also not human. Um, I think naturally we like to interrupt and talk about things. And so I have found at the front, it's, it's the best tactic that we've used and we really encourage with our online groups is when a group is getting started, don't jump right into business, have some fun, do something for the first five to 10 minutes, play a game, talk about something. And it's a warm up. It's trying to get everybody comfortable with unmuting, mute, you know, muting and talking. You just, and once people know that they, that they can talk, there's something about laughing and having fun together and casually talking that leads to a better conversation. And so I think, um, you know, and I always make a joke. I, I make the same, I'm like a dad. I make the same joke every time I ask a question in a zoom meeting and nobody talks. I just had this yesterday. I was in a meeting with a couple other pastors and I I brought up a question and nobody wanted to talk. And I jokingly said, Oh, this is like how all my dates were in high school. And that joke, like people laugh because they totally know that awkward silence. And then, you know, I'm making fun of myself. I'm not going to say if that's true or not. Um, but it's ultimately, you want people as a former college friend of Jay, it's true. (laughs) So, Hey, you're not supposed to use insider information against me. Um, so it's, it's about, so I think there's this, the first 10 minutes, talk about something more casually before you go into like, Hey, confess your sins to each other. You know what I mean? It's like, try to get everybody comfortable. So a game, um, you can do Pictionary where people share their screen and they draw something, they try to guess, or you can do something casually like, you know, what's something fun you did this, this past week, but there's something about having fun together and just casually warming up you know, before you jump into it. And once you do that, and after, again, we set that expectations, um, two to three weeks in, groups will start to go, oh, this is normal. And I, and again, one of the best tactics that I have found for actually launching online groups is for you as the leader to take some core people together 
and like all the people that you're going to launch online groups with and go, Hey, let's do an online group together for the first three weeks. And once you see it and experience it, you'll be like, Oh, I, I can see why this works, you know, and, and then that allows you to help other people. Again, it's, it's always easier to onboard somebody or launch something at your church. If you've done it yourself, you know, um, it's, it's always easier. How do you deal with zoom fatigue? Oh, how do I deal with zoom fatigue? I, I don't deal with it. I, I literally think, um, I understand with work in different areas, that's a big issue. Um, I guess the way I've always experienced zoom fatigue is, is more, I am people that are interested in groups are the people that zoom is their only option or it's really the best option. So I understand that there are people in our community that are over zoom. Um, cause I think the convenience of zoom outweighs the fatigue and so I, and so I really think there's a category of people that just don't want to use zoom and they never want to use it again. And so those people are just not our targets for online groups. I think there's a way bigger target or group of people in our community where they love zoom. They love being able to join remotely and experience it. So I don't personally deal a lot with it. Um, because it's not really in our target. I don't disagree that it's a real thing. Uh, but I, I feel like it's this whole, everybody's saying Zoom fatigue, everybody wants to go back to the office, but guess what? Everybody wants to, most people want to work remote because of family and all this. So I think it just kind of, it's a reality, but it's also not a big as, a, I think it's a little overblown. You know, I, that's what I feel naturally. Jay, how do you grow an online group? If you're new here, my small group pastor said that we need to be missional groups. We need to be uh, doing outreach and evangelism. How how does that even happen in an online group? I And I, I mentioned this briefly, but we have found the best way to launch online groups and just kind of get it going is we do these quarterly large online groups, you know, traditionally in small group strategy, you would think of them like as um, on site or centralized groups where you're hosting like in your building on site. And then the idea is you meet there for six to eight weeks and you have round tables and you kind of all watch the study together. And then you, you, you kind of go into conversation at individual tables. And then the, the ninth or 10th week, those actually happen in homes. And so that's a very popular strategy in, within small group networks to kind of do that. Uh, we do a similar thing with online groups where a staff member or a key volunteer will host a large Zoom meeting with, you know, 20 to 100 people. And then we use breakout rooms and we, we watch it or we watch the study together at the first 15 minutes or we read whatever or we talk about whatever. And then we break into breakout rooms. And we have found one of the that's a really effective way for people to kind of onboard a bunch of people on how online groups work and experience it. And then again, the seventh, eighth week, we say, Hey, you've been doing an online group. Hey, continue on. And we always launch three to 10 groups out of that strategy. We did that at the start of COVID. And that was actually our big learning at COVID was we had hundreds upon hundreds of people every day interested in joining online groups. Once COVID started officially with our online community and we had, we didn't have enough groups. And so we decided to, as a church, to launch a centralized online group every night of the week. And it was a really, it, it solved a problem because we had this avalanche of activity and then it launched all these online groups out of it. So I, I would really suggest doing a centralized model 
I would first, as a team, do a short online group together for three weeks and just experience it, try it out, see, you know, figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, and then the thought is once you do it, you know, it's, oh, it's not that hard. You know, I bring up the example of like, it's like traveling internationally. A lot of people, I have a lot of friends that are really scared to travel. I have one friend of mine, I remember he was really scared to travel internationally. And, uh, he was, he was scared of like flying over water and all these different things. You know, he's probably a little too pro America. Uh, and I travel, we traveled to France together and, um, I, for a vacation thing. And I remember like he came back afterwards and he was like, let's, let's go again. He wanted to go somewhere else. And it was so, but it was like, he had to try it out. He had to do it. And I think that's why as a team, I would first do it experience it and then you will become an evangelist for it and then do the centralized group to kind of launch it and i think if you do you know anywhere between two or four centralized groups a year you're going to launch anywhere between five to 50 online groups a year i think that's it will be a long tail strategy but it will work for you because people will actually oh this actually works what's your kind of best tips for keeping people as engaged as possible yeah, you know, I, I have found most of our online groups don't like watching the video together on the Zoom. I You know, th- they're not synchronized like that, um, mainly because sharing audio and video on a Zoom is a little hit and mess. Typically, you actually don't want to stream it when you share your screen. You want it to be localized on your device so it's more smooth. Our, our church does these Zoom staff meetings still, and they always share the worship video from YouTube, and it's like terrible. Um, because they're trying to stream it in the refresh rate. Um, they need to download it to their device. But anyways, besides the point, even a big church like ours, we struggle. And uh, But mainly because online groups, most of the people understand how to go watch something online. And so I think it's the makeup of an online group attender. They just, so typically it's like, hey, guys, watch this or read this before we meet. And then our online group sessions for the majority of them tend to be focused, just jumping right into conversations. But we also have that shift at our local, like I I'm part of a marriage group and we, we no longer watch the study together. We typically, everybody watches it prior to meeting. And when we get together, we just jump right into conversation. So I think that shift really happened when we went from DVD to digital because typically the host had the DVD and you couldn't really easily get it to everybody. But if it's digital, then everybody can just get access. So that's just been a shift. I think most of us have experienced if you have some kind of digital solution, if you're still handing out DVDs, God bless you. And how do you deal with the people who are problematic? Uh, Let's say there's someone who's just been very disruptive or just, you just don't get along with them. How, how, what should I do about that? We ban their IP address. <laughs> Thanks for the help. As a small group leader, no, I don't yeah. know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that's just where your pastoral cap comes on and you kind of, you're honest with them. And, and typically it's depending the scenario in the context, you know, sometimes it's, it is just, we, we realize it was a bad chemistry match between the host and the person. And there is something unique that happened and we, we give them a second try. Sometimes it's really leaning heavy into them starting their own group. And it's just, Hey, if, if, if you're so passionate about this and it's not working out, you know, get some people yourself. And then rarely it's 
there's something more going on. And that's where we recommend that they have to go through some, we have to see that they're getting healthier and there's some kind of counseling that goes on before we re-engage them in a group. Again, that's all on an individual basis. I will say online groups tend to attract a lot of people that have been disenfranchised from local stuff. Um, so we, we, we have a lot of mentally, uh, unhealthy people that kind of engage because local churches have kind of pushed them out other, you know, sometimes intentionally, unintentionally. Um, but that's where we have to talk to them about like, Hey, you've been part of all these things and it's not working out. Maybe there's something going on with you. And that's where we have more of a heart to heart conversation with them. And, um, sometimes we do have to, Hey, you can't get plugged into another online group until you do these things. And if we see that they're on a journey of, getting healthier and they are healthier. A lot of times you notice that in the tone, in the emails and the conversations, because if I talk to them about it and they're initially like defensive and they don't even want to talk to me on the phone. I just had this this week where somebody got removed from a group locally and they wanted to join an online group. And I said, Hey, let's set up a conversation. And they said, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to get into a group. And I was, that's a red flag that that means because ultimately I'm not going to plug that person into a group and hurt a bunch, hurt a bunch of people that I'm responsible for. And so the first sign is I just, you need to be able to talk. And then if, if they're rude to me, you know, if, if they're on the phone, cause I, I'll have this, they'll be super rude to me. Like I'll get a lot when somebody's frustrated, they're like, I don't want to talk to an online pastor. <laughs> I want to talk to a real pastor. I've heard that many times. And if they're willing to say that to a pastor, regardless, even if I'm just an online pastor, what are they going to say to a, a normal attender? And that's where I have the responsibility as a pastor to make the hard decision and, and, not plug them into an, another group until they do. I see some movement of health. For someone who, and we'll kind of wrap it up with this, for someone who is just beginning an online group and already feeling a little overwhelmed, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them? Uh, my encouragement is to get through two to three groups before you really back out of it. Um, because I think everything generally uh, probably with the exception of hell, I would think <laughs> it's that if you're there longer, it will get easier. <laughs> and so I, I really think that, you know, I found this with the Bible, the more I read it, the easier it is to understand. Um, the more I, you know, uh, I started playing chess during COVID, the more I play chess, the easier it is for me. That's generally true. Not always true, but I think with online groups, it's the first meeting or so it's going to be awkward and different. And I, but I think the more you use it and do it, it will become more natural and you'll be able to just be you. Cause really you're just having conversations with people over a different platform. And, um, once you feel comfortable with that medium, it will turn into just a normal conversation. Jay, thanks for coming on and thanks for your time. I appreciate your insight in online small groups. Thanks for having me on. Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk Producer, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into this special five-part series, How to Be a Small Group Leader. If this series impacted you in any way, check out our other podcast from the Small Group Network, Inside Saddleback with Steve Gladen, Here to There with Carolyn Takena, Leadership Journey with Bill Search, and Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. These release every Wednesday, so don't miss them. Also, are you looking for community with other small group point people like yourself? Join our Facebook group. This group has over 7,000 people who want to share and learn about what they're doing in small group ministry. Strengthen your group's ministry today by going to Facebook and typing in the search bar, Small Group Network. Just select Join the Group and we'll get you connected to a whole new community. Lastly, make sure you visit Small Group Network 
www.thepurpleshow.com for our free resources and blog. Thank you for listening.